Even though previously when I discussed, says the Ramchal, the idea of a limited description of the infinite being, and they became tongue-tied, unable to express the ineffable, And I reverted to describing the connection that we have to our Creator based on the tradition that we have received from the Prophets, the Forefathers and the experience that we had nationally on Har Sinai from the fact that the Ramchal differentiates between three different types of sources of the information of God and doesn't summarize them or condense them into one one may be tempted to say that The Ramchal should really say, and how do we know this? Well, we know it through prophecy. Because the reason why Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac knew it is because they were prophets. And the reason why the prophets knew it is because they were prophets. And the reason why the Jewish people knew it at Har Sinai is because they had prophecy. So, again, the Ramchal said, be exacting on every one of his words. And then he goes and he delineates them. How do we know this? We know it from the Patriarchs, and from the prophets, and all Israel received it. Why, 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 why make these three chilukim, these three differentiations? It's all the same source. We know the prophecy. Who cares if it hears the prophet? Hears the prophet? Does he go through every name? We know it from Habakkuk. We know it from Malachi. We know it from Nehemiah. We know it from Yirmiyahu. We know. It. You follow me? This is called asking a kasha, posing a difficulty based on my paradigm on the way that the Ramchal presents things. If the source is prophecy, so then you just need to say the source is prophecy. You don't have to elaborate each and every single prophet. What I sense is that the Ramchal is trying to say something that there is a distinct difference in the nature of prophecy or in the nature of the way that this information was conveyed. And the obvious is one category of accessing knowledge of God. And the prophets is a second category of accessing knowledge of God. And the global experience of Harsinai was a third category of accessing and experiencing God and none of them are the same. And they all happen to give us an experience of God but from very different directions. The Avais were unique. Their pathway to prophecy began not with prophecy, but with investigation and striving, beginning with Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, Abraham, 
the Rambam describes was a defined initially by his curiosity. He couldn't contain his curiosity. He looked around at the world and he looked around at the world. He looked around the world. There's something else going on over here. This is not... I can't accept the... Avrama Ivri. Avrama Ivri he was called. Ivri Aver means the bank. He was Avram Ivri. He was on the bank. What bank? Bank, bank, uh, bank. I don't mean Chase Manhattan. Bank, I mean the bank of a river. He was on the bank of the river. What was he doing on the bank of the river? The Gemara says, major story says it, he was on one bank and the entire world was on a different bank. It's an analogy. He was on one side and the entire world said, you're my sugar. You're out of your brain. And he said, no, this is what I hold. This is what I understand. Avram Ivri, can the whole world be on a different position and I'm sticking to my guns? Yes, Avram Ivri did it. Did it. So Avram Avinu started to investigate, started to think, and he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he figured, causing it, and he looked at the world, and he looked at the world, and he penetrated, and he thought, and he thought, until he revealed that behind this whole system is something else. I'm sorry, I can't accept this as the end point. There's something else, there's something beyond, there's something supernatural, there's something transcendent, and that's God. Step one. And he related to, and he started to act on that, and he started to behave that way. Until one day, since he initiated the communication, there was a response. And God spoke back to him, and that was the first moment of prophecy. But by then he was already keeping... By then he... he, he there wasn't... a prerequisite for his connection to monotheism he had already intimated practically how did he keep like such an aspect the Gemara says he kept everything right he kept everything before before they invented he kept Pesach he had matzahs on Pesach before the Jews went into Egypt Avram Avinu ate matzahs on Pesach so did Yitzchok so did Yaakov ate matzahs imagine how strange it must have been what did they say at the Pesach Haggadah That matters. So the Gemara says, or whatever it means, it says the two rabbis, the Rambam had two rabbis. His two kidneys became his rabbis. I don't know how your kidneys are your rabbis. My kidneys have never taught me anything to my knowledge. It could be they have. I'm not aware of them teaching me anything. My kidneys seem to be an internal organ that are there to cleanse my system, but I don't think they're there to give me some good ideas in Shas and Poiskin. My kidneys could teach me. It could be I save a lot of money coming to Yeshiva to sit there and listen to the kidneys. You know what it means. But for some reason, Avram Avinu went to, got to a level where his intuition, his knowledge of his sensitivity, I suppose it's akin to a person that, you know, when a person's blind, he can hear things that a person who sighted could never ever hear because his senses are so mm-hmm. finely tuned. He can he can not only hear sounds, but he can actually judge distances based on sound and do all these wi- weird things which for for a normal person it would be supernatural. So the way I understand it is that Aram Avinu refined his appreciation, his senses, until he could feel. He could feel out. He didn't need to be told. He could feel out that I can't move that on Shabbos as Mukta. No one came to him and said Mukta. He just knew it. Can, can, you not just, can you not just say that, more simply, he had some sort of rock college? 
he he understood intellectually that it was the wrong way. And therefore, in return, God gave him like some element of real Kodesh, and he knew. Not that he refined, not belittling of Rahab, but it's, it's much more far-fetched to say that he someone could refine himself to an extent where they become spiritual. Because you're making up your own spiritual, therefore he made up his own spiritual. It must be that he actually had well, some it's element. Very, it's a very important Kodesh. distinction, Batita. Even though you're right, maybe in terms of uh, your understanding of how prophecy works, far-fetched. But in terms of understanding the nature of the obvious, and that's why I want to differentiate between them and the prophets, is it's very different. Because the obvious, they revealed religion from within. The prophets were told it from without. It's a very different experience. Specifically, the, the, the major says that his, his internal organs, whatever that means, it means his internal being was his teacher. Not that some external source taught him. It was internal, meaning that you can find collateral kula inside of you as well. Avram Avinu did it. In other words, you have a soul. Your soul is a structure. Your soul is an intuitive knowledge of what's right and wrong. Problem is, we can't hear the voice of our soul. So we're deaf. As I say, my, my, my kidneys ain't said nothing to me yet. It's not because my kidneys aren't speaking, it's because I don't have the ears to hear them. So the way that the obvious came to Torah was a very different, was a different approach to the prophets. The prophets, they, they received prophecy. Akash Baruch came to them and called them Shmuel had prophecy. When Shmuel Hanavi, Samuel the prophet, when he first heard prophecy, he didn't know what happened. He heard a voice. They went to Eli and he said, did you call me? It's coming from without. It wasn't some intuition from within, understanding that this is the way things... He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't become totally in touch with his internal spiritual being until this is the way it is. But that, that's what typified the obvious. And it could be that it had to be that way for them to be obvious. Meaning they had to have an internal, complete internal transformation in order for them to be the progenitors of the nation of Kaliswa. They had to completely discover every aspect and working mechanism of their inner souls. Josh Benjamin. Um, does that mean that, so if he was at that level where he was so intrinsically aligned with the, like the MS of Torah, let's say, um, then does that mean there was something about that Tader that was a step beyond that? Because otherwise, why would God need to put him through that? You could, could even maybe say that, like, you know, if you had already reached the level where you knew intrinsically there was this reality of Yisrael, then why did he, why did Hashem need to put him through that? It's a question in all the tests that Avram had, 10 tests. So why was he tested if he already knew it? So the, the word test, Nisoyon, is from the word Nase, which means a banner. The purpose of any test ever given to anyone since the beginning of time until this very day, including the test that you have being in the Shia right now, which is a great test for you, and perhaps even great for other people in the Shia, simply the very test of keeping the eyes from closing is a test but the test that test every test that you ever have been given and that everyone was ever given was a simple principle to take things from potential to reality if you are never tested you remain in the same place even though you've got all the potential in the world you have to be tested it's an amazing thing it's an amazing thing how much being put into trying situations is the necessary and imperative requirement for growth. 
you could be the most generous person in the world but if you live by yourself in a big mansion you won't be generous no, you won't be generous you'll be generous but you won't you won't realize your generosity you need a facilitator you need something to make it come out so you need a poor person to give to you can be the most loving person in the world you've got no one to love it doesn't become real the translation the creation is revelatory it comes from within and it brings outside so the purpose of an isoyan is to take something which was embedded within the person and to bring it from the hidden to the revealed that's every isoyan and that's, that, that's our lives every single day is another every single thing that happens to us from the second we wake up the question is while we're sleeping or not simply speaking while we're sleeping we're okay but from the second we wake up until the second we fall into a deep slumber, every single thing we encounter is a test. Which will either, if we stand up to it, build us, or if we don't, not build us, or in the worst situation, break us. Because in order for us to be created, we need to have a cause for creation. The cause for creation is the test. Just like if a person decides that he'd like to build his body to become big and strong and powerful and mighty, and he goes off to the local gym, and he decides that he does want to build himself, but he refuses to lift any weights which are heavy. So he'll, he'll be there for a very long time and he, and he won't make much progress. Because in order for movement to occur, it requires resistance. The resistance is the weight that you can't pick up. Because there's a resistance to the force that you're trying to go in upward fashion. The resistance is the downward pull of the weight. The greater the downward pull, the more force is required. If you succeed in doing so, the resultant is big muscles. The less the resistance, the smaller the muscles. The bigger the test, the bigger the person. The smaller the test, the smaller the person. The person that's tested repeatedly with tremendous challenges becomes a great person. Um, there's a awe-inspiring, breathtaking book written by a person who is confronted by multiple challenges. What's it? What'd you say? Have you seen him? You've seen him? I haven't seen him personally. You read the book? I haven't finished him. Right? He's a person that Age two, growing up in a small settlement in the south in the 1950s in Israel. His settlement, Tifrach, they uh, acquired a new tractor and one of the teenagers was, was playing around with it and it got out of control. And this little two-year-old kid suddenly saw this massive <coughs> vehicle heading towards him. He was petrified. He ran away from it. As he ran, it got closer and closer until he tripped and fell in a ditch. And the tractor went over him. And he was, he was spared. But the trauma 
of being almost killed in the hair's breadth of his life caused him to become mute. He wouldn't speak. Subsequently, he suffered from a fever and his mother examined him and she was quite knowledgeable of medicine. She feared that it would be polio. She took him to Beersheba and it turned out to be polio. She came on a donkey to Beersheba. It's polio. And by the time she had hired a truck driver to drive him to Tel Aviv where they had the only place where they had facilities to deal with these kids, as he entered into the gates of Tel Shomer Hospital, he went into a coma. And he's put into some gigantic contraption called a metal lung. And he is eventually able to get out of it. But he had such a severe strain of polio that it affected his breathing and all his limbs until he was almost completely paralyzed, a small little kid. And there was an epidemic in Israel at the time. And they never had enough space in the hospitals. So they just stacked all these little children on shelves. And his mother lived... Days, days journey away. She could only come once a week to visit him. So for, I don't know how long was it, I don't know if you remember, for a year, he spent his life on a shelf. Little kid. Eventually he was moved to a place in um, Jerusalem. A sanatorium. And he still was completely, almost completely paralyzed, almost completely paralyzed, very, very limited movement. And again, he was alone. And he said his worst day was on Shabbos. Because everyone else used to get their visitors, and they used to look at him, and they used to speak about him as if he couldn't hear and couldn't see. And so he's so lonely, his parents don't care about him, they've neglected and forgotten about him. And he used to, every word would stab him in his heart like a dagger. And he said, to one day, to one day, he came up with the most, came up with the most brilliant and transformational idea. So when I read the book, I thought, wow, this is really exciting. I was waiting with anticipation to see what he'd come up with. He managed to pull the covers over his head so no one could see him. I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> Seemed like an anticlimax. But then he said, people couldn't see him, so no one even noticed him. They didn't poke fun at him. But he said, when he was underneath the covers on those showers afternoons, he began to dream. And in his dreams... He saw himself walking again. He saw himself running and playing with his brothers. He saw himself being able to smile and laugh. He says, those dreams built his life. Because he wanted to, he created that internal reality inside of himself, mentally, and then you start to work towards it. Step by painful, excruciating step. And he did. And his mother was behind him the whole way. And eventually he was able to be discharged from this hospital. And he's taken back. And every step that he took would be excruciating pain. Till one day, he was able to walk by himself.
until you regained full movement. Became a normal, functional, perfect human being. And you came back to the sanatorium 40 years later. And he tried to find if there's any staff that had been there at the time he'd been there. Found an old caretaker and he said, you know, I was in this ward. He laughed at him. He said, no one's left that ward in the last 40 years. Those people are there for life. And he started to describe the details of the ward to the caretaker and the caretaker's jaw dropped. Because he could dream. He dreamed his way out of the Nisoyen. It's an interesting thing, it's relevant to Chua, but of a diversion from our book. Interesting halacha. Thinking about our dreams. What are our dreams? How big do we think we can be? If a person who was paralyzed could get himself to move because he had the right dreams, imagine how big we can be. Imagine how big we can be, but you have to dream. The worst thing in the world is not being able to dream. You have to dream. You have to dream how you're going to completely and totally transform. You're the biggest tzaddik in the world. So there's alocha. Listen to this alocha. person comes, absolute debased. Look at this person. He's six foot four. He's wearing a tank top. He's got a massive tattoo of a heart with an arrow through it on his gigantic left bicep. He's got a scar across his forehead. He's simultaneously dealing in cocaine and committing small thefts. And he meets a woman, Rochela. Ah, Rochela is a tznistika, geschmaka, beisayank of Medela. For some reason he thinks this is his shidduch. Speshet. She looks at him and she's... Uh, wants to check out his references. She's <laughs> <laughs> not convinced. <coughs> but she's, you know, she's, she's quite a... She actually wouldn't mind a bit of spice in her life. So he performs two witnesses watching. He goes and he says, Hareat Mekudeshes Li, behold your betrothed to me, and he gives her a ring, but and then he makes a stipulation. Provided I'm a tzaddik. Once he said those words, he's completely and totally at ease. Okay? On the condition, this marriage is valid if I'm a tzaddik. Right? This is a man who is simultaneously robbing a bank whilst thinking about proposing. Valid or invalid marriage? Kamara says valid. Valid. Why? Perhaps at the time when he pronounced the condition, he was dreaming of Chuva. Isn't it fascinating that Chuva is a dream? Chuva is a dream. It's something that you conceive of, and that's where the real Chuva happens. It happens in the mind. Reptodica Koen bases an entire series of chapters in his Sefer on Tshuva on this concept that Tshuva is creating the mind frame that it's about the dream that you have. That's the essence of Tshuva is the dream. The dream of being different, the dream of being better, the dream of being perfect, the dream. If you don't have a dream, so then, so then you remain 
paralyzed, limited, restricted dream. Sure enough. I, will, I just want to say, I think this is, I've been thinking about it a lot, certain things like this, if a person knows these type of mind games and NLP and all these things, that would make him able to become more of a tzaddik, make him be able to do more mitzvot, and therefore he'll get a greater olam haba that someone doesn't know these things. So is that fair? Okay, when, when Riptalik Akrain, I don't think Riptalik Akrain was an NLP master. Um, no, but these are... It's, it's, I don't think he's discussing about a mind trick or a mind game or uh, cognitive training or uh, guided imagery or... He's referring to... We all have dreams. You don't have dreams? It's a very natural thing to dream. Children are born dreaming. It's the most natural thing in the world is to, to dream. You have to actually destroy dreaming for it to get out of your system. It's natural to dream. Speak to children. So you say to a child, when you speak in common conversation, they'll, they'll mix in fantasy and reality. Right? Is it destroyed? Is it destroyed? And what do you say? You have to destroy it for it to go? In other words, it's a natural part of our beings to dream, to imagine the impossible. That's what we do, imagine the impossible. That's what dreaming is all about. It's not a skill, it's not a learned process, it's a function of part of our beings. That what we do is we visualize our deepest desires. We dress them up in images and the question is what we're dreaming of. Okay, dreams are dreams are dreams, dreams someone wants to ask something, Adam. There's something very deep going on here questioning and um, in Judaism it seems like there's a very big deep idea about covering over and return so what happened in Gan Eden to, to make a, a long story short was there was a covering over of the neshama with a more physical um, type of, of skin there was an orb that came after the uh, Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of the book, and that was a covering over. And some of the questions have been asking about what does it mean to to uh, hear your kidney speak, or, or what does it mean that the, the forefathers they discovered got it on their own. And it goes to me, it brings up this idea of covering and return in in our lives, especially those of us who have lived in uh, outside of Israel, outside of religious communities. A lot of our inner essence as Jews is covered over by all sorts of ideas and concepts, and a lot of um, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of social norms and things like that. So that a lot of times we think that we are, to use a phrase by uh, Ken Ken Wilber, we think that we're speaking, but we're really being spoken. So someone who walks around with um, you know uh, a Nike shirt saying just do it all the time. They think they're speaking, but they're really being spoken. And I think a lot of, for me, my, my, my experience in Judaism has been uh, quieting of the mind and a releasing of those things to come back to what was really inside. And it's interesting because I found that a lot of the, the, the intellectual ideas that I had and, and the, the struggles that came from constricted consciousness, which is really what happens when our consciousness becomes covered over, were reflected in, in the body. So that I was able to realize that a lot of what I was um, 
thinking and feeling were reflected in, in bodily states and then the body can become a very um, important messenger because everything is, is coming from, from one source and a lot of times we are only interpreting through our mind but if a person is able to come to a, a, a sort of deep state of um, openness and relaxation and tranquility and connection they're able to hear these messages that are coming from not only through the mind but also through their body and so they're the same thing the the leaving from egypt from its rhyme was an exit from a narrow consciousness and also uh, a lot of the pains and a lot of the, the the way that our body is held is a reflection of our consciousness everything is, is one system it's become dissociated that we don't understand it but if we can start to quiet a lot of the intellectual noise and covering over that comes from all these ideas that have been layered on top of us, we start to come to, to realize this. It made any sense, but it's, it's a huge, huge uh, idea, a huge, huge topic, and it's very deep. But I, I think that this is sort of um, like Abraham, I think he could have chose to go along with all the ideas that everyone else was going. He could have just adopted those. Those would have covered over his his inner essence, but instead he, he, he cast those away and he listened to something much deeper. Oh, is that that, that, that expresses to say when you're saying it's a theme? The theme is that that, that, that when you the theme is that there's an, a certain there's a, the, the, which we saw previously in the Ramchal that there's a paradox between what we call the experience and cognitive learning. There's also an experience where there's an internal system which is already pre-established. And it's not about creating it, it's about revealing it. And that's what we're trying to trace back to. The obvious is that there's, there's a, the revealing of potential and the relationship towards the, to this in dreams and tshuva is that you dream, if you dream the right dream, you dream the dream that is you. You dream about what you are, not what, not what... You dream the right dream. You dream the dream that comes from the deepest place inside of yourself. When you dream that dream, that's called shiva. Um, okay, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.